everyone, this is Kate McGaw, founder and CEO of Arclight Agile. I'm a certified Scrum trainer and I'm passionate about training leadership agility. And welcome to our podcast. And I'm Ryan Smith. I'm a certified Scrum master and a certified product owner. Okay, and today we are going to discuss the five stages of team development. So Kate, why don't you step us through those? What are their characteristics and you know, maybe a little, even a little background on where they come from. Indeed. So the, the, the five stages or phases of team development, very much um, used in a lot of teams to, to look at when is the team performing at its highest level. Generally, what we're talking about are high performing teams. And it's interesting that we're still referring back to a 1965 article, but this is a 1965 article that Bruce Tuckman wrote, and he came up with originally four stages, so forming, storming, norming, and performing. And we'll talk through each of those in a minute, but he later came back and added the fifth stage, which is adjourning to it. So the, the forming stage, if we took a look at these over time, so it over the, the context of um, a team's life cycle, their performance, um, when we kick off, they're, they're eager, they're socializing together in this forming stage. We've, we've generally got a plight tone and it's a bit unclear how we're sort of fitting in. There's some anxiety, some questioning and things like that. So we're, we're coming together and working out our dynamics and things like that. So that's our forming stage. And then our performance may take a bit of a dip if we, for most teams, will head into the storming phase, which is where we've got some um, resistance. Maybe not everyone's jumping in to help and some people aren't participating we're beginning to get some, it's, there are more emotions involved with this. We tend to get some more conflict involved in this based on different people, different people and different opinions and things like that. So this is, if, if we're thinking about a curve, this is at the dip at the bottom of our curve. So our performance has gone down. And then our performance begins to go up with the norming phase, which is as a team, we understand what our goals are, what our purpose is. We tend to be more confident what we're doing and we're, we're, we've got to, we're, we're more committed. We're working towards that goal and the purpose. People tend to be more supportive of each other. Um, and with the team is really developing um, a good cohesion. So this, this is our norming phase. Our goal as leaders and scrum masters and product owners is for our teams to be at the performing level, because that's when we're, we're up at the, the, the peak of our performance. We're um, delivering well. Our team's highly motivated. We talk about high performing teams, and this is what we're looking for. So the, we're, the concept of one team, we're putting our team's needs ahead of our own needs. We've got motivation, we've got trust, we've got empathy. Our team is consistently delivering what they've committed to deliver. The business and product owner teams can plan um, because our team is delivering consistent performance. And it's very much the team is working as one unit. And then 
the fifth stage, stage that was added was a journey. Some people call it the mourning phase. Some people call it the transitioning phase. It's basically, it's a phase of, of potential sadness. We have this team that has been a high-performing team, and now we're splitting them up. Maybe we're splitting them up to kick off new teams, and they're going right back to forming again with a new team. So what I try and suggest for a lot of teams is if we have a high-performing team, can we avoid the adjourning phase? Can we bring work to the team rather than splitting the team up and sending the team off to work? So that's one thing. And then the other thing to remember for this is every time we switch out a team member, we potentially, if we have a high-performing team, maybe they're high-performing, maybe they're norming, but every time we switch out a team member, we risk going back to the forming stage again. Now, we may not always go back to forming if we have a very engaged scrum master. Maybe they can facilitate the team um, getting through forming and storming fairly quickly and get back to norming. But if we have a team of this, the dedicated team members and we switch them around, we risk going to forming and storming and getting that reduced level of performance. I sometimes hear people saying, oh, well, we just switch our team members out every month. And I'm sort of, the team is never reaching then that high performing level because they're continually being switched out. So, I mean, if you think about all of the, the events and things that we do in a scrum environment from, from daily scrum to sprint planning, to retrospectives, to refining, to sizing, everyone's sizes differently. And the minute we add a new team member, our sizing is going to be different. Yeah. There's so many things that, I mean, you've just put out a whole bunch of stuff, but it is, yeah, I can't imagine like switching people out every month because you're yeah. you're only with the team for like two sprint. Like you're not teams are persistent. They're not eternal. I always tell, yeah. say to people like, listen, any six months or eight months or a year when you have conquered this product, well, we can maybe find you another home. But like for now, I need you to own this. Yeah, I know there's some articles that will leave off that fifth stage the the you know the adjourning some people call it termination or ending and then there's there are a number of articles that believe like even just adding a new team member resets everybody mm -hmm. back to the beginning yeah. i've said this before and i i think you agree sometimes you see with new team members the ex-girlfriend syndrome mm -hmm. where they come in and they go well this isn't how we did it at my last company yeah and yeah. you always have to say well, i'm i'm not that girlfriend like mm -hmm. we're i need you to get into the team norm yeah. Like the, we have our definition of done, our ways of working, you know, we're not siloing work. We're, you know, we're a high performing team and I need you to adopt the team's norms, not try and bring, if you have good ideas, that's one thing, but there are people that will actively try and transform. But why yeah. do you think people leave off that fifth stage or don't talk about the cyclical nature of it all? I, I think we're probably because we're, we're focused on delivery. And we're maybe not focused on the team and the dynamics and what is the team actually feeling? I mean, we we talk, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years about empathy and the empathy that's needed for our teams and psychological safety. And I think the adjourning stage is okay, well, come on, the team's finished. 
sort of get on with it. We're clicking off the new team instead of, well, how, how do we wind this team down so that we don't just, OK, on a Friday, you finish with team A and on Monday, you come in with you with team B. How do we we mourn the fact that we had an amazing team and we're now going to another team? It's recognizing that there is a psychological impact to that. And I think that this is one of the the key things. I know we've talked about the mindset shifts for leaders, but this is where one of the key mindsets comes in. And that is, as a leader, I'm no longer a chess master where I can move my people from one team to another, because if I'm moving my people from one team to another, I'm taking that team back to forming and storming every time I move someone. So if my role is now that of a gardener and I am there to grow my team members, then if I've grown them to this performing stage and I I put there's time and effort and money gone into that. Why would I why would I start from scratch again if I don't have to? So I think I think it's considering the investment we put in to get a high performing team. Why why are we insisting on, oh, well, we're going to change someone out every three months and things like that? So, it, it yeah. So the, that seems the, that the, seems very anti scrum. Yeah. Like yeah, that seems I, just like man, like I have to be seen as managing. So I'm yeah. gonna man like like you said, it's a chess master versus yeah. the gardener going like, well, this team is performing. Yeah. But sometimes you do have to sort of, I think, transplant. Yeah. Like you have, you know, a low performing team and you just can't figure out what's going on with them. And then you have like other high performing teams, and maybe it's time to say that some of those high performers like need you to go over there and show these people how it's kind of done. Yeah. And also we we may need a new skill set on our team. Maybe our product um, now needs a, a different sort of skill base in it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a proponent of don't ever do it. I'm a proponent of if you're going to do it, be aware of the impact it's going to have on the team and be aware of the different strategies that you're going to have to have at each of the different levels so that we are mentoring and growing our team members so that we can get the team as quickly as possible back to this performing stage, because that's where the team members are happiest, the organization is happiest, the business partners are are able to plan and get what they um, expect at the end of every sprint. So that's where we wanna be as a team and organization. So do you think it's any different for let's let's take off the table these people who come in and just sort of change things up just to change things up. We yeah. have a product team, we have a persistent product team, which Scrum really says this is optimal because you're gonna have yeah. these people, they're gonna have an ownership over it. Do you think there's any difference between a persistent scrum team and project-based teams? Like, does it will it play differently with that scrum team, or is it simply the project teams just don't have enough time to get to that high performance because they're on an artificial timeline, whereas scrum teams have sort of room to breathe? Do you think there's a difference in the, the stages or it's all teams, they all go through this? Uh, to me, it's all teams. So at any group of people that is put together to build a product or service, whether they're a project team or a scrum team, is going through these phases of, of, of team development. Um, I don't think it actually matters what the team is. I mean, to me, even a, a sort of 
a maintenance and support team is going through this. But I mean, there, there's certainly more fluid team um, team member in and out of teams with a maintenance and support team than there are for, for example, a new development or a project team and things like that. So I think in some environments, the, the switching around of team members and pulling in who's needed for that particular week is, is part of part of the normal. In which case, how do we as leaders or scrum masters make sure that we are giving them the strategies to get them through forming and storming as quickly as possible? Do you think that this is, I feel like every conference I go to or every like get together, like this mm -hmm. comes up a lot. Do you think, it, is it signif more significant? I mean, you, you clearly don't. You think it's anytime people get together and form mm -hmm. a team to do anything, this is key. But what do you think it is that the, why we sort of really focus on it in the, the agile realm? Or is it just it's that significance of the team as opposed to like, I've got a role, I do my thing. Yeah. You know, we yeah. the other play, places silo out the work, whereas we're like, you know, no, there's there's just yeah. the dev team. Is, it, is yeah. that why this makes more sense for us? I, I think so. And I mean, the, 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 given this dates back to the 60s, I mean, that I first learned about this in, when I was doing the doing my PMI, my PMP. But it's it's we talk about it in scrum teams, I think, because our goal is to get a high performing scrum team right. that is planning work and delivering everything they've committed to do every two weeks. Right. So I, I, I don't know if you. I hate to use the word measure, but I don't know if you measure a traditional team as regularly as you measure a scrum team, because the scrum team, we're looking at deliverables every two weeks. The, these are the items I said we were going to get done. These are the items I got done. So we can see fairly quickly where is our team in the phase of team development? And we're doing retrospectives every two weeks. So we're looking at how do we need to improve our overall process, part of which our process is how do we work better together as a team? So I think there's a focus on it in scrum teams and product teams that you might not get in project teams. So I think it, it it's a focus rather than it being more important. I think it's important no matter what the team, but I think we can, it's more visible, I think, in a scrum scrum team. I, th I think that that's, I think you're, I think you've nailed it there. It's because projects, you can kind of hide mm -hmm. what you're doing. And it's just like, well, we'll get that done at the end, as opposed to like, no, a scrum team, we're delivering every yeah. two weeks, standard Goldilocks model. Every two weeks we're delivering. So like, you see who's performing and who's not. And it yeah. really comes out and it's really clear. Mm -hmm. And because we say, we go back to a user story where we're not dictating to the team, here's exactly how you're doing your work. We're saying, here's what we want. Mm -hmm. High professionals, highly skilled technical resources. You go and do your thing. Yeah. And you're going to have to coordinate amongst yourselves. You get this work done. We're not telling you how to do it. We're just yeah. saying, this is what we want. So it yeah. does really put it on, like, we do have to form a team. I have to talk to this person and we've, I've got to pass off to that person. And it's a, it's more of the team effort than yeah. it, like in that way. So I, I think you really nailed it there. Like that's, I think maybe that's why it really resonates with us more than like waterfall yeah. where it's like, you have a role and you do this thing and you do this, you know, it's like that assembly line, like, well, yeah. I just screw these bolts in, Z yeah. Z you know, as opposed, or like I put the tire on, like, 
no, we're, we're yeah. just creative things. So I, I, I think that's an excellent point. I really yeah, like I think it is. I think it is. I think I think you're reinforcing that the concept that what we're trying to get with our scrum teams is our self-organizing, self-managing, empowered teams. Right. And we can only do that when they're at the norming and performing stage, right. particularly the performing stage. So, yeah, I think that's this is probably why we we put more focus on it. And I think it's it's become even more important in our more hybrid work environment because oh, yeah. it, it was different when we were in the office because we could get to know people faster because we're, we're in the same room, we're co-located, but now that we work, working remotely is, is, is a norm or hybrid is the norm, then that's a lot of dynamics that we're switching when we introduce a new team member. So I think yeah. I think that's something that I think so I think that's why we're seeing it even more nowadays. Because I mean I, I I do a lot of leadership classes and they're sort of, oh well we're changing our team members. And I'm sort of, well, you do remember this, and they're sort of no. And I'm sort of it, it seems to be a new concept. And I'm sort of it's just been around since 1965. Since um, the hippies, but, since yeah. real hippies. Yeah, yeah. But but I let me I want to come back to that because I think when you were talking about the hybridness, I know I was just meeting with some team members. I got to I love business travel, I love getting to do it. I always stress to people that to be able to sit down and eat with somebody else is such a bonding activity. Yeah. And when you can meet a new team member and go out with them mm-hmm. and have a meal and be like, yeah, I'm not just this head and shoulders yeah. you see on a screen a couple minutes a day. Yeah. Like we have now hung out. We've gone and done an activity maybe because I'm in town yeah. and we've gone to this great place and locals only go. And like, it's so important to make that human connection. And yeah. that I know as a scrum master, like I have to work that much harder to build teams mm-hmm. Like, how can I make the retro fun? Maybe we're having a Friday afternoon happy hour or we're playing Mm -hmm. Among Us online, but it's, it is harder. If we were all in the office, it's just like, oh yeah, we're going to lunch every day or we're joking around or we're playing, you know, ping pong or whatever, but like the remote thing. Yeah. yeah. But that's an excellent, that's, I think. Yeah. Hybridness makes it tough. Yeah, and I think it's back to something that we've mentioned already. It's this concept of one team. We are one team delivering our product or service. Therefore, we we are invested. And it's getting to know each other, even if it is virtually, doing virtual happy hours or bring in your lunch or whatever it is um, in order to do that. I mean, I, I think... There are always there's always going to be a hybrid. And I mean, that's a, yeah. another whole session on the whole work from home in the futures um, numbers and things like that. But as leaders, if we recognize these different stages, then we can support the teams accordingly. And right. it's the recognition that uh, as leaders, it's it's easy for us to say, oh, well, that team's behind. So let's just add two more people to the team. And it's OK, well, it's the, the mythical man month or the, I mean, what is it? A one woman can give birth in nine months. Two women can't give birth any faster. So right. it's adding more people. And in our team environment, adding more people may slow everything down because now we've got to get them up to speed, number one. And number two, we're going back to forming and storming again. 
Right. And it's no good to give me a backend dev if all my work is front end. Yeah. Like yeah. I have that problem right now where my backend dev has nothing to do, but I got 30 stories that are all front end. And it's just like. And how T-shaped is your backend dev? Well, it's, 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 it is one of those things that that's, that's a whole, that's a whole different animal. Yeah. But I, yeah. I wanted to say that real quickly, because I, I say this all the time, Scrum is a team sport. Absolutely. It is a team sport. That's yeah. why I do not like pre-assigning work. Yeah. Because then it's like, well, I did my work. And it's yeah. just like, it's not your up to bat, like baseball and it's you against the other team. It's like, we, this is football. We're all moving down the field together. You, your sprint isn't successful and theirs fails. It's like, it's ours. So yeah. Scrum is yeah. team sport. We're, we're coming up on time, but we do want to talk about what we think is the Scrum Master's unique role in these stages. And yeah. I'd love to get your thoughts on, because the Scrum Master is more, it is really, this is part of their mm-hmm. whole, yeah. their responsibility. So let's give your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I think, I mean, as a Scrum Master, when my team's in the forming stage, I'm probably being more visible. I'm probably taking more of a lead. I'm facilitating introductions. I'm facilitating team building events. I'm probably doing working agreements. I'm doing definition of done and making sure that my team is on the same page for expectations. So it's, it's looking at how do we set as Scrum Masters our teams up for success. Um, and then as, as we head into the storming phase, it's probably being aware that that's where the team is. It's facilitating sort of feedback and issues that the team may be having. It's doing exercises to help the team build up trust and make sure they're, they're sticking to their commitments and things like that. It's encouraging people to give and receive feedback. It's things like in the retrospective, it's maybe doing more question-based retrospectives around how can we better support each other as a team and things like that. And then by the time we get our team into the norming phase, it's the stuff has begun to settle down and we're looking to the future. We're not looking to just survive it and get through it. We're now looking to the future. And we're sort of looking to how do we continue the growth mindset with our team? We're recognizing the individual, but we're also recognizing the the importance of the entire, the one team concept. So we're hopefully continuing to grow team members till we get them to the performing stage. And to me, as a scrum master in the performing stage, I'm almost off to the side. I, I'm right. sort of I'm guiding the team, but I'm not jumping in as much to facilitate. I'm making sure that the team does things like continues to celebrate their successes and they're continuing to grow and problem solve. I'm probably encouraging them them to help um, other teams grow and things like that. But my role as as a scrum master in performing is is more guiding rather than sort of leading as such. And then the adjourning phase, it's uh, how do I help the transition? How do I make sure that the team members are effectively transitioned to um, other teams? It's celebrating 
the success of the team they're coming from and helping transition or bridge the gap, if you like, into a new team. Yeah, I always like to say in terms of the performing stage mm-hmm. or even the norming, like as a scrum master, I'm I you shouldn't catch me running around like a lunatic. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if I'm running around like a lunatic, somebody's doing something they're not supposed to be, or yeah. like I'm really not norming or performing. Like yeah. really I'm kind of off to the side to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, all excellent. I mean, excellent points, excellent discussion. Uh, anything you would like to sort of close on, like final thoughts about this? Still relevant. We find it still relevant, yeah. maybe re- more relevant to us because of the control we give to people. But what are your what sort of final thoughts? I, I think it's le- it's recognizing that it happens. It's recognizing that it happens in any team and that the support that the team needs is very different based on where they are in their phase of team development. Can't say it any better. Thank you for joining us today. You will find us on Twitter at Arclight Agile. You will also find us on LinkedIn at forward slash Arclight Agile. So share your thoughts with us on this episode and send us any topics you'd like us to discuss in the future. 